0: Uh, Sandra read our text so beautifully for us. I want us in a few minutes to read it again. If you have your Bibles, find Luke 12, please. And I want us to, in just a few minutes, we'll read that once more from Luke 12, this parable. Today we begin a a summer series on the life teachings, the stories uh, that Jesus told, the parables of Jesus. A funeral director who was a friend of mine in um, Mount Washington Kentucky once told me that I would be surprised and disappointed if I could just see the um, the arguments and the near fist fights that are so frequent in his office after someone has died usually he said it was a parent had died the the, the last remaining parent and these squabbles were usually among siblings over how what is left would be divided. Divvying up the inheritance uh, can divvy up families. So it was in Jesus' day. When someone died, the last remaining parent, at least when the father died, my understanding is that the oldest son would receive half the inheritance, and then he was responsible for divvying up uh, the remainder the inheritance. In the story we're going to read in just a moment, which Sandra read for us just a moment ago, we find a young brother who was impatient. His father had died. His older brother had apparently received the inheritance, but he was dragging his feet and and distributing it. And so this, this younger brother saw an impartial arbiter and asked for his help. Years ago, I was refereeing a high school football game in a small town in Virginia. It was, a, it was um, homecoming, there was a big crowd. And that uh, early in the game, I heard them announce that at halftime, they would have the drawing for uh, the raffle to see who won the big raffle. And I don't remember the, the amount, I just remember being astounded at how much money it was. Well, at halftime, the officials we gathered over there to replay the, the first half and, and they went out, the, the, the boosters or whomever it was went out on the field and they had the big container with the names of those who had bought raffle tickets. And then they called me, they called the referee out onto the field. And the guy on the PA system uh, made a big deal out of the fact that they needed an outsider, an impartial arbiter to uh, draw the names, and I did. I drew one of the names, and made somebody really happy that night, and I wondered, was he just teasing, or did, it, did he really need an outsider, an arbiter? You know, in a small town where everybody knew everybody, maybe they really did need an outsider to settle things. That's what the young brother believed. Jesus was a rabbi. He thought he must be impartial, and he doesn't know us, and so let's let him settle this inheritance issue and we read from Luke 12 again beginning at verse 13. Someone in the crowd the young brother said to him teacher tell my brother my big brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied man who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you. Then Jesus said to them watch out be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions and And then Jesus told this story, this life story, this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. And then he said, this is what I'll do. I I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you and then you will, you will get what you have, then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? We're going to come back to that line. Who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it would be Jesus concluded with those who store up things for themselves but are not rich toward God. The story refers to the barn owner as a fool. But he was not a fool, and let's be real clear, he was not a fool because he had big, bulging barns. That is not why he was called a fool. A late friend of mine named Paul had a beautiful farm, and it was a bountiful farm. He had rolling. There were rolling hills. He had Charley cattle. The crops had always. It was had rich soil. It was always productive. He owned a marvelous corner of planet Earth. It had his name on it, down at the Hardin County, Kentucky, courthouse. He could sit at his picture window and overlook that gorgeous piece of earth. Now Paul was a deeply devoted follower of Jesus and Paul read the Bible pretty simply. In fact, read it pretty literally. And one day he said to me, Pastor, I I really do need another barn. But he said, I cannot bring myself to build another barn. I can't forget the story of the man who wanted to build another barn and died that night. Poor Paul never did, never did build his barn. Of course, Paul missed the point of the parable. The point is not that the man had big barns and needed more barns. The point of the parable is that the man misunderstood what was important. It's not a a sin to have big barns. In fact, the Bible says in Ecclesiastes 5.19, when God gives anyone wealth and possessions and enables them to enjoy those wealth and possessions, to accept his lot and be happy in his work, this is a gift of God. To work hard and enjoy your work and be rewarded financially is not a sin. Nor is it a sin to plan for the future. Proverbs twenty-one twenty: In the house of the wise are stores, are collections of choice food and oil. The wise people have saved, but a foolish man devours all he has. This man was not called a fool because he planned for the future. So what are we to take, what are we to learn from this life story, this parable of Jesus? Number one, we're not going to be here forever. We are not going to be here forever. A pastor from Hawaii, Wayne Cordero, made a great point. He had a big piece of paper and from the top he drew a vertical line, a thin vertical line with his pen. He called it a scratch. He drew this vertical line, he said, was 1 of an inch wide. And he said, that little scratch, that narrow, slender, thin little scratch, in comparison to the rest of this big piece of paper, he said, represented the, the length of our days on earth in comparison to eternity, to forever. This little scratch represented a relatively brief time on planet Earth, all that other white space, that white space represented forever. And the point of the parable is that this man lived his life for that little scratch. That's what Wayne Cordero said. He said, so many of us live just for that little scratch, and we act like that little scratch is all there is He said we hoard for that scratch. He said we have little scratch lives, little scratch hopes, and little scratch dreams, forgetting that there's more than just that relatively brief time that we will spend on planet Earth. Oh, I know we don't like to talk about death. We jog and we eat bran muffins and we, we buy wrinkle removal cream and we we try to dye the gray out of our hair. I, I, I know I did one time. It's a long, very embarrassing story that I'm not gonna tell right now. But we're not gonna be here forever. In fact, the point of the, one of the points of the parable is that we should live now like we're not gonna be here forever. Let me say that again, that we should live now like we're not gonna be here forever. Now, don't get me wrong, I think we ought to live as long as we can. I think we ought to live as long as we can, do as much good as we can. That means we ought to exercise and eat right. I try to. I try to exercise and I try to eat reasonably well. And by the, by when I say reasonably, I, I'm not going to eat tofu. And I'm, I'm not going to eat quinoa. And I'm not going to I'm not going to eat veggie burgers. In fact, I think God never intended for a hamburger to be made out of ground-up Brussels sprouts. Can I get an amen? Amen, Amen. thank you. That just seems sacrilegious to eat a veggie burger. But we can take care of ourselves and exercise and eat reasonably well. And still remember to live now as if we're not going to be here forever. To live now as if we're not going to be here forever. That's one of, the, one of the truths arising from this parable. We're not going to be here forever. Number two, our stuff is not terribly important. Jesus asked the man with the bulging barns a haunting question. Who will get what you have prepared for yourself? Who's going to get all your stuff? Number one, we're not going to be here forever. Number two, our stuff is not terribly important. Jesus asked him, who will get what you have prepared for yourself? What's going to happen when you're gone to all your stuff? Every once in a while, I'll be in the attic and I'll come across uh, some of my things like, you know, from a long time ago. Like maybe a, a, a trophy from childhood or something like that. And I will think when I see those things. I think to myself, you know, when I'm gone, my kids are going to be so glad that I have left these things for them (laughs) to to cherish and keep. And then I have the second thought, Travis, who, who are you kidding? They're going to throw this out. They're going to throw this out and they're going to wonder why in the world did daddy keep all this stuff? It's probably a good thing that I guess we won't be able to look back from beyond death to see what they do with our stuff. Remember, the problem with the man in Jesus' story was not that he had full barns. The problem was he thought the stuff in his barns was the be-all, end-all. He thought the stuff in his barns was of utmost importance. Of ultimate or the ultimate goal so Jesus asked him a haunting haunting question what's gonna happen to all your stuff when you're gone what's gonna happen to all your stuff the stuff in our so-called barns you know our attics and our banks all the positions, all the promotions, all the recognitions that we worked so hard for one day will not matter as much as we act like they do. What comes from this life story, this parable of Jesus? We're not going to be here forever. And, and all our stuff is not, is not terribly important. Number three, wise people keep an eternal perspective on life. Wise people keep an eternal perspective on life. Gospel music. Now some of you like me grew up in churches where we sang gospel music. Gospel music was born among sodbusters and sharecroppers. And people who were not welcome at the country club. Gospel music was born among people who, at the end of every day except Sunday, had dirt under their fingernails and sore backs. And, and in gospel music, just about every other song, if not two-thirds of the songs, are about heaven. When I was a kid, growing up in that church of gospel music, I thought, we sure do sing a lot of songs about heaven. Why? Because gospel music was born among people whose lives were hard. And spirituals, sung by the slaves living under the oppression, whose at the end of every day except Sunday there, there was dirt under their fingernails and their backs were not only sore, but they were bleeding and often scarred. So they sang their spirituals, many of which were about heaven. The sodbusters and sharecroppers and gospel music, they sang, this world is not my home, I'm just a passing through. And my treasures are laid up, they sang, somewhere beyond the blue. And the spirituals, the slaves sang, swing low, sweet chariot. Coming for to carry me home. Gospel music and spirituals were born among people whose lives were hard. And their ultimate hope was beyond planet Earth. But now... Our lives are relatively easy, not everybody's. Modern conveniences have made life a lot easier for us than for our grandparents. Most of us, not all of us. Most of us live in far better houses than our grandparents lived in. Most of us have far more materially than our grandparents had. And so, consequently, we, we think less about heaven. Peggy Noonan, some of you might remember that name. She was a speechwriter for presidents. She was a religion columnist. And she's a baby boomer like like me. And she wrote something about baby boomers. Back when baby boomers, when we were young, she wrote something that I've kept because it meant a lot to me then and still does. And by the way, this is applicable not just to baby boomers, but to Generation X and Y and Z and everybody who has followed. Listen to what, it's it's just, it's, it's a paragraph. Please listen. Those who went before us, talking about the builder generation. Those who went before us understood this life to be tough, but relatively short in the grand scheme of things. Those who went before us understood this life to be short or tough, but relatively short in the grand scheme of things. But that was not a cause for despair. For their ultimate hope was in another world. Their ultimate hope was in another world. Our generation, she said, given our skepticism about religion, in our generation, we look for all our happiness here and believing that this is our only chance at happiness are despairing. Our generation, she says, for whom life is much easier, Look for all our, we think our hope for happiness is in, is in the comparatively short span of time we're on planet Earth. And because we're so often disappointed, because our hearts are so often broken, because life can be emotionally difficult. She said, the people of my generation are despairing. We're asking too much From planet earth we're asking too much from this scratch this relatively short time we spend here wise people have an eternal perspective on life wise people do not obsess over pie in the sky by and by but wise people keep an eternal perspective on life Wise people understand this world is not our home. And we're just passing through. Wise people believe in the ultimate hope of a, of a sweet chariot that will come forth to carry us home. This parable says, we're not going to be here forever. Our stuff is not terribly important. And wise people have an eternal perspective On life. It boils down, I believe, to this. The man in Jesus' story was not a fool to have full barns. He simply forgot that life on earth is like a little bitty scratch on a big piece of paper. I don't want to be that old guy who's always imparting wisdom to all his young listeners. But I do have a perspective, having now had 62 birthdays that I didn't have before. I'm increasingly aware of my mortality, not obsessed with it, just aware of it. I live life with more urgency than I did before. I think about what's important more than I did before. And I think more about what those folks on the first two or three rows of my funeral are gonna think of me than I did before. And I want those folks on the first two or three rows of my funeral to know I loved them, to know of my blessing, and I want them to know my convictions. I've collected for my grandchildren and sent to the parents of my grandchildren, and that's what they've become now, by the way, just the parents of my grandchildren, not my sons and daughters, just the <laughs> parents of my grandchildren. <clears throat> I've sent things I've written, including things I've written about hot topics. And I've asked them to print them and keep them for my grandchildren. What my grandchildren think of me long after I'm in heaven is increasingly important to me. I want them to know of my love. I want them to know of my blessing. And I want them to know what their papacy believed. I want them to know that I cared enough to speak even on hot topics. I want, I think more about what those folks on the first two or three rows of my funeral are gonna think of me than I used to. And I want them to to know of my love and I want them to know of my blessing and I want them to know of my convictions. Truth is, everywhere I have served has been generous to me financially. My first little church down in Helena where I was the minister of music to my seminary churches where I was pastor, to the International Mission Board when we were missionaries, to Kentucky, to Richmond, Virginia, to Huntsville. You've all been generous to carrying me, and we have lived comfortable lives. But I'm not gonna leave a whole bunch of barns full of money to, to the next generations. I can, though, leave them a legacy of love and blessing and conviction. And I've come to believe that that is far more important than barns full of stuff or money. I hope you're thinking about the legacy you will leave. But Travis, I haven't had 62 birthdays. You will, Lord willing. And they'll come before you know it. Let's begin to think about our legacy. Legacies of love and conviction and blessing. But it's not just about the legacy I will leave here. It's about who I will meet there. Back to the story. You fool, Jesus said to the man. Tonight, your soul will be required of you. There is an ultimate Accounting. So it's not just about what I will leave here, it's about who I will meet there beyond my last breath on earth. When I will stand before the one who wove me together, the Bible says, in my mother's womb, the one who knows me best and loves me most, the one who has high expectations for me and you, I will stand before my Creator. There's an old legend about a king who had a court jester. You know the court jester, you can picture him, maybe the ones with the long, funny, pointy hats. They were, the, they were the ones in the palace who gave comedy relief to the king. The kings bore great weight of responsibility and leadership. And so the court jesters were there to let them laugh, to let them forget their troubles, to, to lift the weight off their shoulders. Well, this legend is about a king who loved his court jester. And one day, he thanked the jester for being so foolish. He said, I love how foolish you act. And he said, here, I want you to have my scepter. You know, the scepter was like that ornate staff that kings carried. He said, I want you to have my scepter. I just so appreciate How foolish you act. And he said, he said, if you ever find anyone who's more foolish than you, give them this scepter. Years passed. The king lay dying. He summoned his court jester to say goodbye. The court jester came and brought with him that scepter, that staff. The king said to the court jester, I'm about to leave for a journey from which I will never return and I wanted to bid you farewell. The court jester asked, "So you're going to leave on a journey from which you never will return. I assume you have learned about your destination and made the necessary preparation." No said the king, "I I've been so busy with king things that I, I haven't given any thought to the afterlife. After a long and thoughtful pause, the court jester handed that scepter to the king. And he said, king, years ago you gave me this scepter. And you said, if I ever meet anyone more foolish than I, I should give it to him. And king, sir, anyone about to embark on a journey from which he never will return without having made the necessary preparations is more foolish than I. We're not going to be here forever. Our things are not all that important. And it's not just about what we will leave here. It's about who we will meet there. And you can be prepared. You can trust your life for here and forever to Jesus. And you can live now like you're not going to live forever.